Well, I really appreciated uh, Tom's talk just a moment ago. Um, I've seen the same uh, the same survey that was done. It's it is a pretty um, shocking survey, and I would just say um, if the the facts of the resurrection and Jesus's death aren't accurate, then we have no reason singing what we sang this morning, and we have no reason talking about what we're going to talk about this morning from 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 12. Um, but I would say that because we do believe uh, the factual uh, relevance and the factual truth of those that event, Jesus' death and resurrection, I say hallelujah that we can sing the songs that we sing and talk about what we're going to talk about this morning from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, which is our living hope, uh, which is a wonderful thing, but it is also something I think that has to challenge us uh, to view our lives and to live more devoted to God in the way that we walk in this life. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we started looking at Peter's first letter, and we, we noticed uh, there in the very first couple of verses the importance of viewing ourselves as exiles, particularly as elect exiles or chosen exiles. That's how Peter describes his readers here, uh, because they are part of this dispersion. They are not at home. They have been dispersed uh, across the Roman Empire. Uh, they are going through a pretty you know, severe persecution that's stemming from Rome, and even from the Jewish people themselves. And so these people are going through some pretty uh, severe trials. And Paul wants them to know, yes, you're exiles, but you're chosen exiles. You are elect exiles because you belong to Christ. And that makes all of the difference in the world. Exiles are different. They are different than the surrounding culture, and, and as is the case across centuries, when you are different, usually that leads to some kind of persecution coming to those who are different. And so Peter wants to accomplish a couple of things in this letter. First of all, he wants them to know how they should live as exiles. Okay, this is your circumstances, this is the reality of your lives, Here's now how I want you to live in light of that reality. But the second thing that, Paul, that Peter wants uh, to, to get across to his readers is he wants to give them the key to enduring all of these trials that they're going, to, going through. He wants them to know, here's how you endure, here's how you get through all of this, so that at the end... What he's going to talk about here in chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, really becomes yours, this living hope, this salvation of your souls. And they're going through trials right now, and if you notice at the end of Peter's first letter, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, he makes it pretty clear, they're going through trials right now, but there's more coming. He says there in, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, don't be surprised when fiery trials come your way. Boy, I, I'm, I'm sure that they were thankful he didn't begin the letter that way because that would be a depressing way to begin the letter. You're going through trials, but don't be surprised when even more fiery trials come your way. 
I think Peter begins the letter the way he does intentionally because he wants them to know, yes, you're going through trials. Yes, there's trials coming. Here's how you can endure through those. No matter how fiery they get, you can endure. And here's the key to doing that. I think we need the same encouragement. I think we've got to put ourselves in these people's shoes. No, we may not be dispersed. We may not be persecuted like they were. But I, I don't think for a minute that we should take ourselves out of this and go, you know, there's no fiery trials coming my way. I think we do go through trials. Maybe not as severe, but we go through trials that test our faith, like Peter's going to talk about in just a moment. But don't be surprised when fiery trials come our way. That's the way of the world. That's the way of following Jesus. It's not easy, but the reward that Peter's going to talk about is worth it. So we need this same encouragement. So we need to pay attention to Peter's message here in the first, uh, in verses 3 through 12, so that it can encourage us and so that we can be challenged by it. So he begins in verses 3 through 5 talking about this living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So in light of the here and now that his readers are going through, and in light of the fiery trials that Peter knows are coming in the future, Peter begins with something foundational. He begins with rebirth, which is something that God has done for them. You notice there in verse 3 it says, that God has caused them to be born again to this living hope. And rebirth is really the idea of a new beginning or a new start. And, and if you think about our new lives in Christ, that's exactly what that, that is describing. Rebirth is a new beginning. You remember over in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, what, what Peter describes there. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21 it says, Baptism which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we are requesting, a good conscience. God's work is He causes us to be born again. And we are born again to something incredible. So rebirth is a result of God's work, and I think it's a, re a result of God's work in two ways. First of all, it's a result of God's mercy. That's what Peter says here in these first few verses. In verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy. What's well, mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve to get. And so what we have been given is something we didn't deserve. What we deserved, we didn't get. And so according to that mercy, we are born again. But secondly, this rebirth 
As you can see, this is the part of my Bible I open up to the most. <clears throat> this rebirth is a result of God's power. And this is kind of what we talked about in the Lord's Supper talk. The resurrection of Jesus is, is a declaration of the power of God, and without that, there's no being born again. Without that reality, without that fact, there's no being born again to this living hope. In fact, there's no hope at all without that. And so it's this, this power of God that causes us to be reborn. And this is key, this resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, because everything he's going to talk about hinges on that fact. Everything that he's going to, to, to try and encourage these people with hinges on the death and the resurrection of Jesus through the power of God. And the reason it hinges upon it and why we need to be so invested in that fact is that what happened to Jesus is what our living hope is all about. That's what we have been born to, this resurrection of Jesus. The death and, and resurrection of Jesus and what Jesus has been called to is what we are being hoped. We are hoping to be called to. He was raised from the dead, now he sits in glory. Isn't that what we're hoping for? That at one point we will be raised from the dead so that we can sit in glory in the presence of God? That's what we're looking forward to. And without Jesus' death and resurrection through the power of God, none of that happens. So this, this is the key to our rebirth, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And when you think about it, these Christians are going through trials. Well, Jesus suffered trials, didn't he? He was rejected. He suffered, you know, the persecution of the cross. He died in a horrible way, but he was raised to glory. We're waiting for our glorification. That's what we're waiting for here. When the fullness of our salvation is realized, when we are called into what he was called to, this is what makes the trials of the here and now bearable. This is what makes the fiery trials to come bearable. What Jesus endured and what Jesus was raised to. And so this living hope that Peter talks about is the key. To enduring these trials. It's what, you know, unlocks the endurance that we can have when we go through whatever trials it is that we go through. And notice this description of this inheritance, of this, of this hope. He says, you have been born again to a living hope. Our hope is alive. It's living. I think the reason that he describes it as a living hope is because he wants us to contrast that idea to the kind of earthly hopes that we can have. Think about some of the earthly hopes that, that we might have. You know, we might hope for a new job, we might hope for a new car, whatever it might be, we might hope for whatever it might be. Can I tell you the reality of those hopes is that once they are realized, the joy that is experienced when it is realized begins to fade over time. It doesn't last. You know, I might get the new car, 
but and I might really like that new car smell, and for the first day I really want to go drive that car everywhere I can drive it so everybody can see it and so I can, you know, look good in it. But, you know, two months down the road, that's going to be a way to get from here to there. The enjoyment begins to fade. Joy fluctuates, you know. You know, there, there's... I don't know of a, a much greater joy than, you know, being married, but I would say my wife doesn't find joy in me just every single day when I say something to her that makes her mad or, you know, whatever it might be. That joy fluctuates. It's there, but it's not, you know, every single day it's the same level. This hope that we have is a lie. And, that, and it's in contrast to the hopes we have in this world. This hope doesn't dull with each passing day. You think about the message of the, the preacher in Ecclesiastes. What does he say about the things in this life? That famous catchphrase, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's the reality of the hopes that we have. That's the reality of the, the joy that we experience with the, these earthly hopes that we might have when they are fulfilled. They pass away. We spend so much time chasing after them and then the joy just kind of you know, ebbs and flows or goes away. Everything in this life is temporary. We have been born to a living hope. And the joy that we feel when that hope is finally realized, will be never-ending. It will never end. It will continue to be alive. I, I like the, the, that song, it will be new every morning. Rejoice in that. That's exactly what Peter's going to say in a little bit. But this hope is entirely wrapped up in the one who has given us this hope. It's entirely wrapped up in God. It's entirely wrapped up in Jesus, as I just want to make this point this morning, knowing God better, knowing God better is the closest that we can come to heaven on earth. Because our hope is entirely wrapped up in Him. Getting to know God more intimately, having Him a part of our lives more intimately, having a relationship with Him is the closest that we can come to heaven on earth. Because after all, isn't that what informs our living hope? His Word? What He did? Who He is? And isn't that what heaven is all about? The fact that God is there, that we are in His presence? I don't get the picture that heaven, uh, I think Jason mentioned this a while, a while back, uh, Jason Shackelford, I, I don't get the picture that heaven is just a bunch of fluffy clouds that I lay on all day. It's in the presence of God. That's what makes it amazing. Joy in the presence of God, knowing Him intimately. And so getting to know God intimately here in this life, I think is the closest thing we can come to, to knowing, uh, to, to having heaven on earth. And if that's the case, then it is absolutely vital that we take the time to get to know God better in His Word. Absolutely vital. And the first and foremost way we know God better in this life is through His Word. You notice what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. That idea of being born again. 
through the living and abiding word of God. It's alive, just like our hope is. Or down in verse 25, but the word of the Lord remains forever. That eternal nature of God's word in, in comparison to the eternal nature of the hope that we have. Or Psalm 34 in verse 8, this is what God calls us to do as His people. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and powers of the age to come. How do we taste the heavenly gift that's to come? We taste it by seeing God in His Word, by getting to know Him better. Can I ask you this morning, do you taste God in this way? Have you tasted God in this way? I don't mean, you know, the earthly blessings that God gives us, though those are wonderful. I mean, tasting God in a way that these passages describe. By turning to the everlasting Word of God. In a way that draws you closer to Him. In a way that thrills your heart because you've just discovered something that you hadn't discovered before in His Word. That's one of the most exciting parts to me about, about reading my Bible and, and studying my Bible, discovering something I didn't see there before. I, I mean, it gets me excited. I get you excited. In a way that fills you with longing to have your living hope realized. You taste God in that way? There are a lot of Christians, I'm afraid, that don't live like they have a living hope. I mean, it's clear from that, that study that was done. They don't desire to know God, and so they don't have anything to inform that, that living hope that God gives to those who are born again. The problem is that they don't have a true love for the Lord. Do we have a true love for the Lord that, that draws us to his word so that we can have you know, the knowledge that we need to have to hold on to that living hope? That's a problem if we're not there. This hope is everything. And how can we hope to endure and enter glory if we don't have a hope informed by getting to know God better. Whatever it is that we have to sacrifice in order to get to know God better, we need to sacrifice it. It's worth it. To hold on to this living hope Sacrifice it. It's worth it. And I know it, it might be easy to begin to think, well, you know, it's easy for you to say you get to study your Bible every day uh, for a job. 
I'm blessed and thankful to be able to do that. I'm going to tell you, there was a time in my life when I didn't do that for a living. There was a time in my life where I didn't make knowing God better a priority in my life, and I faced trials that I didn't get through very well because I was not informed by knowing God better. I'm ashamed of that time in my life because I didn't endure through those trials very well. Not knowing God better will not help us endure. And so getting to know God better is absolutely critical. So sacrifice whatever it is you have to sacrifice so that you can seize hold of this living hope. So that you can, so that you can get to know God better. So that you can be informed about what's to come. So that you can endure whatever trials it might be. We have to find the time to do this. We have to find the time. It's important for every single one of us, for the mom and for the wife. You know, I I have a lot of sympathy for you. Because I know if I were to ask you how much do you work uh, every week, you'd probably tell me I work 40 hours a day. That's probably a fair assumption. What do you have to sacrifice in order to make getting to know God better? Maybe it's getting up a little bit earlier. Maybe it's going to bed a little bit later when the the kids are finally in bed. Maybe it's making sure that there's an hour during the day where those kids get quiet time so that you get to have the time that you need to have alone with God. It is vital that we sacrifice whatever we got to sacrifice to get to know God better. Maybe the husband and the father who works long hours during the day. Maybe you've got to get up a little bit earlier or go to bed a little bit later or whatever it might be so that you can have a little bit of time alone with God so that you can get to know Him a little bit better. Maybe, you know, maybe you're single and you work long hours and there's a lot going on in your life. What do you have to sacrifice in order to get to know God better? So that your living hope can be informed because getting to know God better is the closest thing to heaven on earth. It's going to inform your joy and your hope in the future. Alone time with God is absolutely critical. But can I suggest to you this morning that we also have more public opportunities to get to know God better. We have three times during the week that we can come together as brethren and get to know God better by opening up His Word and studying it and thinking about it. What is it that we need to sacrifice in order to get to know God better in those ways as well? What is it that we need to sacrifice? What stands in our way of doing that? What do we need to sacrifice to make getting to know God better in that way a priority in our lives. Brothers and sisters, getting to know God better, letting that inform this living hope that we have so that we can endure whatever trials come our way is worth every sacrifice that we might have to make. Whatever it might be. And can I say this? If we will make this a priority in our lives, if we will make 
sacrificing whatever it is to get to know God better. Can I make a promise to you? And the promise is this. If we will make tasting and seeing that God is good and tasting of what God has to offer in His Word a non-negotiable part of our lives, privately and publicly, our hearts will be transformed. They will. Getting that, that intimate with God can't help but transform you. Our souls will be thrilled. We will rejoice at what we discover and how that, that lifts up our hope. Our lives will be refreshed. There's a lot in life that drags us down. When we get to know God better, we are refreshed by doing so. As we realize through His mercy and power that we have been born again to a living hope that never loses its intention, intensity or majesty. And notice how Peter describes this hope. First of all, he says that it is imperishable. It's eternal. It doesn't end. It keeps going on. We live in a world full of expiration dates. I joke with Olivia a lot that expiration dates are just suggestions. And that, you know, when she wants to get rid of something after a week, I'm like, you know, it's just a suggestion. It's still good. I can still eat it. You know, she's right. The expiration dates are there for a reason, because things go bad. Things go bad in this world. Things in this world have an expiration date. I've got an expiration date. This living hope doesn't have an expiration date. It never ends. It continues on and on long after it, it ceases to become a hope and becomes a reality. He also describes it as undefiled. This idea of being uncorrupted. And I find a whole lot of joy in this description of this, undefiled. You look around at the world, everything's defiled. Satan has defiled every inch of this world. It began in the garden and it has continued on. Everything is defiled. That's why we have sickness. That's why we have, you know, surgeries. That's why we have all of these things. Satan has defiled this world, and we have allowed him to defile this world. But this living hope that we have, because it comes from God, it is not defiled. It is uncorrupted. It is pure. It is beautiful. It thrills my soul to hear that. He also describes it as unfading. Again, you look at the world, things fade. You, know, you look at the, the trees, they're green for a while, and then they become, you know, a, a, well, maybe not here in Jacksonville, but up north, where I came from, they got different colors, and then they faded away. They were no longer there. I'm sure you've seen that. Things fade in this life. This hope that we have, this living hope, it doesn't lose its, its magnificence, it doesn't lose its, its brightness, it doesn't lose its color, it continues to be just as bright as the day it was given to us. And notice what Peter says here, and this gives me a lot of hope as well. In verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through 
faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God is the one who is guarding this hope for us through our faith. That's how incredible and how important this hope is that God himself is guarding it for us. So that when the time comes, we can, we can enter into that hope, the salvation of our souls. And this is what Peter wants us to understand before he gets into the reality of the trials in verse 6. This living hope comes to those who have been born again, those who truly love God, and it only comes to those who actively seek to know God better. Hope is the key to endurance. It's always been the key to endurance. And so in verses 6 through 9, he gets to the reality. Here's what I've told you about, this living hope. Here's the reality in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What, what Peter does for us here is he gives us uh, contrasting ideas between the, the idea of living hope, the eternal nature of our hope, and the temporary nature of our trials. Our hope is alive. Our trials are not. Oh, we say, well, yeah, they're alive. I feel them. I feel the effects of them. But the reality is our hope is eternal. The, the, the trials are not. They're not going to continue on for, for all eternity. I know once we're in them, and I, I've felt this too, it feels like they never end. But they do. They end. Peter says that for a little while you will go through these trials. You are going through these trials. But he's giving, and Peter isn't trivializing these trials. He's saying, you know, you should be able to breeze through these. What he's saying is, here's the key to enduring these really difficult trials that you're going through and the ones that are coming in the future. He's giving them the means by which to conquer them and to continue to live with rejoicing and joy in spite of them. And I think what Peter gives to us here is the necessity of these trials. These trials are necessary. We don't like to hear that. We'd like to think that we can get through this life without enduring any kind of suffering, any kind of trial, but the reality is they are necessary. And the reason they are necessary, as Peter says, is because they prove the genuine nature of their faith. They prove the genuine nature of our faith. Trials show our true color. That's, that's what they do. They show our true colors. Trials show the genuineness of our faith. You don't get a beautiful gold piece of jewelry without that gold piece of jewelry going through the fire first. You don't get a marathon winner without that marathon winner going through all the trials of the training first. And you don't get genuine faith that is tested and proven without trials. 
They are a necessity. They are a reality of following Christ. And genuine faith is a proven faith. Genuine faith is proven. This is why we can endure and rejoice through trial because we know what the result will be. We know that at the end of those trials, our faith will be proven to be genuine. And as he says there at the end of verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's the second reason that trials are necessary. If you want to obtain the salvation of your souls, you've got to go through the trials to show that your faith is genuine. This is why we can endure. This is why we can rejoice through trials because we know what the result will be. I hope you come away this morning seeing your need to know God more so that you can embrace the hope that he gives to his children, those that he has caused to be reborn. And if we don't prove our genuine faith when our trials come, because we, we don't know God as well as we should. Because we haven't taken the time to build up our faith so that when those trials come, we are proven to be genuine. Isn't it worth whatever we've got to sacrifice for that? Isn't it worth it? And I hope you also see how privileged we are in spite of the trials that we go through. And that's exactly what Peter gets at in verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about, about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. This is how privileged we are. We live in the time when God's grace has been given to us. We have been given the good news by the Holy Spirit. Those are things at which the angels long to look at. That's what we have been given. And above all people, those born to a living hope are privileged. Above all people. This is how they would endure. The trials that they were facing now and the trials, the fiery trials that were to come until their faith would be shown to be genuine. And this is how we will endure. We have been born again to a living hope. A hope that remains forever. A hope of what will be realized in heaven with God. This is how we will endure. We will, we will maintain hope. We will seek to know God better in our private lives, in our public assemblies. Whatever opportunity we get, let's make an effort. Let's sacrifice what we've got to sacrifice in order to make that a reality. Until our faith is proven to be genuine. And we realize the fullness of our hope in the presence of God. Who just as we sought to know him intimately here, we will know him intimately there.
for all of eternity. This text excites me, but it also challenges me. It shows us, I think, the level of commitment that is needed, that we need to display. So, just a couple of questions for us then to think about. Is your faith genuine? Only you can answer that. Is your faith genuine? One way or another, it will be proven whether it's genuine or not when you endure whatever trial it is that you endure. Can you say that knowing God better is a priority in your life? Do you fit everything else in your life around that one thing, knowing God better? Allowing Him to dictate the walk of your life? Do you glorify God and patiently endure because you are aware of this living hope that we have? Or do you focus on yourself and the unfairness of it all? God's power and mercy are on full display in our lives. Let's respond with genuine faith. What Peter says here, I think, is incredible. I think it challenges us, but it also fills us with an incredible hope, a living hope. And if you're not a child of God this morning, it is a sad reality, but I don't think that you have that hope, that living hope that you need. And there's no greater decision that you can make than to come to Jesus and to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We hope you'll make that decision this morning. If you are a child of God and you struggle, maybe you struggle because your faith isn't genuine. Maybe you struggle because you haven't made getting to know God better a priority in your life. And it, and it shows. It shows when we don't make God a priority in our lives. If you haven't made that and you realize you need to and you need help, we're here to help you. We hope that you will, you will let us know. Whatever your need is this morning, we ask that you come forward as we stand, as we sing together.